Did you know that according to some people, the only heretics in the church are those who are calling out heretics? Yes, it does feel like a jungle to me sometimes out there. Certainly, the culture is a jungle of sin and immorality and vice and ideologies that are antithetical to and hostile toward and in opposition to Christ. The culture is filled with anti-God ideologies, anti-Christ teachings and dogma. Uh, from top to bottom. But inside the churches, we also have uh, a continual um, barrage of attacks. Uh, And the Apostle Paul, I'm continually reminded uh, of his words to the Ephesian elders, where he said that from among yourselves, men are going to arise, ravenous wolves, not sparing the flock. Think of the imagery that brings to mind. A ravenous wolf tearing apart the sheep. The church is filled with these kind of men um, littered throughout. And so it is, in fact, a jungle, both inside the the visible church and certainly in in the culture. And we, we must be extremely diligent because there are predators all around, spiritual predators. But in this jungle, there is the lion of the tribe of Judah who rules and reigns. And someday, that lion will, so to speak, awaken from his sleep in the form of the second coming, to put an end to death and an end to sin, an end to this vile, immoral, God-hating jungle in which we all find ourselves. Let's talk about that.
All right, if you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? There is a very strong dislike to those in the church who stand up to false teachings. I once had one of my own pastors years ago uh, when we were having a conversation regarding someone's behavior or theology. I can't even remember exactly what the issue was. But I was startled by his response. And the reason that I, uh, that I thought about it is that uh, recently is that uh, someone else, uh, I think, was making the same argument. He looked at me and said, I'm not going to be their Holy Spirit. Here's a guy who is a shepherd, a pastor who is in charge of looking out for the soul's of men, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, with the mindset that he's not going to call out sinful behavior or error because he's not going to be their Holy Spirit. Well, if he keeps his mouth shut, what does he think the Holy Spirit is going to use to confront this person with the truth of the revelation of Scripture? That is what he's called to do. So there's a strong distaste for this kind of behavior. And what I'm going to talk about uh, for the rest of this episode is the mindset of the New Testament on this kind of behavior. We're continuing to talk about heresy, heretics, heresy hunting, calling out those who are either living immoral lives openly, publicly, by, say, embracing uh, homosexual attitudes uh, and trying to whitewash them, uh, or uh, who are embracing outrageous false teachings and driving division and confusion in the body of Christ. So think about this argument from the beginning. So you, you examine, you want to examine every belief, you want to examine every claim, and you examine these claims in the light of Scripture, as well as we also know and recognize that Scripture teaches that God is a rational being. In fact, God is perfectly rational in all that he is. The laws of logic, the, the process of human reason, uh, the way the human mind operates, these things are uh, part of the divine nature. They come from God. And the reason human beings are rational beings is because we are created in the image of God. And of course, that image being impacted by the fall, not eradicated, but devastated, marred by the fall. Uh, everything that we do now on this side of the fall 
is impacted by the curse, by sin, including how we reason. So let's think about the the people who in the Christian church, uh, seem, the only heretics to them seem to be people who are calling out heretics. It's, it's, it's just mind-boggling to, to me to, to listen to some of these arguments. This is the impact of sin on human reason and on how people put together arguments. It's very uh, fascinating to behold. It's proof that, uh, yeah, we're, we certainly are sinners, and that uh, fact of sin has rippled right through into uh, how we handle the laws of logic and how we reason uh, and our cognitive uh, functions. So, I say that to say this. There are Christians who will make this claim. You, you really shouldn't be critical of other Christians' beliefs. We should all just get along for the most part. We should love each other. We should respect each other's beliefs. We see this in the recent example with Rachel Held Evans and the very tragic uh, situation there with a young mother in her 30s who recently passed away. Now, we know that, you know, with all due respect and sensitivity to Rachel Held Evans, that her views were outside of. Uh, those of the gospel. She was clearly not uh, a believer based on her own testimony and her own profession to Christianity. She did not profess a biblical Christianity. She rejected a biblical Christianity, and she's on record for doing that. Okay, And the, the ideas and the views that she put forth were in outright contradiction to the Scripture. Nevertheless, many, many, many Christians have um, come to extol her and say very kind things about her in her passing uh, in the name of being charitable. Well, you know, what am I going to say about that. I cannot, I'm not going to say anything about the events surrounding her death. I am focused more on the fact that she mangled the teachings of Jesus Christ deliberately, on purpose, intentionally. She mangled the teachings of Paul. She mangled the teachings of Peter. She completely and totally opposed fundamental core teachings of Scripture and rejected things that any professing believer is obligated to receive and to believe and to proclaim with their whole heart, with their whole being. She rejected. So I can't say much about what a wonderful person she was because based on her activity, uh, she wasn't such a wonderful person. She was. She would fit in the same category as... Um, Christopher Hitchens. She was an opponent of God. She was an opponent of Christianity. And anyone who opposes God really shouldn't be described as a wonderful human being. Um, I'm not a wonderful human being. The only redeeming value or qualities in me is seen at the cross. Okay, so... Was she a good person as far as good people go, relatively speaking? 
Well, I, I would think yes. I, I don't know her, but I, I, I don't have any reason to think that in relative terms, she, she was a good person, a good human being in relative terms, and that is compared to other human beings. But what we're interested in here is not how a human being stacks up against other human beings. We're not comparing Rachel Held Evans to uh, Adolf Hitler. What we're doing is comparing Rachel Held Evans to Jesus Christ, to the Apostle Paul, to Christian beliefs, to Christian the Christian value system. And when, when we compare anyone uh, to those things, they are either uh, receiving them, submitting to them, doing their dead-level best to embrace them and to proclaim them because they love uh, God and they love their neighbor, or they're rejecting them. You cannot love God and reject God's word. You cannot love other human beings if you are teaching them false doctrines, if you are teaching them to pervert the clear teachings of Scripture. You don't love them. You don't. And in that case, Christians should refrain from extolling anyone who dies in a condition where they are rejecting the clear teachings of Scripture and the ethics of Christianity. We can't praise someone like that. This is no different than the MLK conference. Okay, I don't want to get <laughs> sidetracked. I say that to say this. People who say, who, who operate this way, live a double standard. First of all, the argument itself is self-refuting because you cannot, you cannot argue that you shouldn't criticize other Christians without criticizing other Christians who actually do engage in discernment where other Christians are concerned. So it's self-defeating. I'm not going to, the only, it boils down to this. The only Christians you criticize are Christians who criticize other beliefs and practices. And you're criticizing their beliefs and practices. So it is self-defeating. It's like saying uh, not to judge anyone, but you're judging people who judge, who judge others. So in the process of saying don't judge, you are judging. In the process of saying don't criticize, you are criticizing. So it is a self-defeating argument and should be abandoned. Not only is it self-defeating, it contradicts Jesus Christ himself. It contradicts the Apostle Paul. It contradicts John. It contradicts Peter. It contradicts the Old Testament prophets, you see. Christianity is not about, as Joel Osteen would say, who is another false teacher, your best life now. It's not about being, uh, finding yourself. It's not about being your, your, your best uh, as far as a father, son, husband, wife, uh, and so on and so forth, or daughter. It's not about that. It's not about improvement. It's not a, about self-help psychological mumbo-jumbo. It's about dying to self. It's about following Christ. It's about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. It's about embracing the teachings of Scripture regardless of how unpopular those teachings of Scripture are with the pagan culture in which you find yourself.
It's about being completely and totally willing to be unpopular with the rest of the world because it was that world that crucified the Savior because they hated him then and they hate him now. And metaphorically speaking, they are crucifying him every chance they get because they despise him and they will kill and crucify at least metaphorically, if not literally in some parts of the world, his followers. That is biblical Christianity. Isaiah 9.16 says, For those who guide this people are leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. You look around the evangelical landscape at the leaders in evangelicalism, and specifically in the PCA with Tim Keller and the SBC with uh, Russ Moore and some of, the, some of the silly things that J.D. Greer is starting to say and some of the silly things that David Platt is starting to say and some of the foolish beliefs that Matt Chandler embraces, and now where Al Mohler is landing on, on some of these issues. Where are the prophets of God who are going to stand and thunder God's truth regardless of the cost? Don't talk to me about martyrs. Don't talk to me about men who died for the faith 50 years ago, 150 years ago, 500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, when you won't even stand up and preach a sermon that makes people angry because you're afraid. This is like people who, 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 who drop names like Charles Spurgeon but in reality, the theology despises Charles Spurgeon's theology. But they drop his name when they get a chance because of his pristine reputation, rightly deserved, and the fabulous contribution that he made to Christianity and the wonderful servant of God that he was and what he left us. Notice what Jesus says here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Obviously dressed up like wolves? so that everybody can see them? No, in sheep's clothing. The, the, the one trait that false prophets and false teachers in Scripture have in common, one of the traits, they have several in common, one of the traits they have in common is their sneakiness. Scripture talks about this repeatedly. They are sneaky. They look like the real thing. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's like, a, it's like I had a conversation once with my wife about serial killers and why they are so, some of them, why, why some of them are so effective, like a Ted Bundy type. Think about why they're so effective. Well, okay, so maybe they're, they're good looking. Maybe they're incredibly charming. 
maybe they have this charming, charismatic personality that's very attractive, and they look and seem like the nicest guy on the planet. And you would, after an hour conversation with the person, you would swear that they were just wonderful. Until six hours later, they're taking a knife across your throat to end your life. They're successful because they're deceptive and they're very good at it. False prophets, false teachers are successful because they look like the real thing to so many people. And the, the best way for you to know how to identify a counterfeit is to, to look at the real thing, to really, really, really know what the genuine is. And the only way where Christianity is concerned that you can know genuine Christianity is by looking at Scripture. That's the only way. In order to understand true biblical Christianity, you have to look at Scripture. You have to be interested in it. You have to be absorbed in it. You have to wrap yourself in these things that are revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. There's a reason God left us the Bible, regardless of what guys like Andy Stanley are saying about it. Look, the first time someone says anything negative about the Bible in any way, in any way, shape, or form, do yourself a favor. Stop listening to them and run. The Bible is your only lifeline to what true Christianity actually is. And if you're going to avoid false prophets and false teachings, if you're going to avoid immorality, you have to know the Bible. It's what protects us from these things. It's God's method for preserving and protecting his sheep. And his agents, his ministers are sent out and put in place using the Bible to keep us together, to protect us, to protect the group, the tribe, the community, Christians, the elect, those that are called out of this world of darkness. So Old Testament prophets warned God's people repeatedly of being led astray by false prophets, false teachers. Ezekiel was told, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. Now, there are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of these warnings in the Old Testament regarding false prophets, false shepherds who are narcissists, who are interested only in their own self. Here in Matthew 20 or Matthew 7, Jesus clearly tells his disciples, "Beware of false prophets." So for all of you who think that it's bad to call out false teachers and false prophets and to constantly be warning people about them, you, 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 the one thing you are doing is demonstrating your ignorance of Scripture. If you had read your Bible, 
you would know that the behavior you're condemning is behavior that the prophets, that Jesus, that the apostles all engaged in repeatedly, constantly, continually. If you look at the New Testament, it is filled with these kind of warnings. It isn't fluffy, duffy, be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good son, be a good career worker, step up, get that promotion, find happiness, uh, love yourself, accept yourself for who you are. It's none of those things. It's mortify the deeds of the flesh, conform to the image of Christ, engage in sacrificial love of others. Watch out for those who come along and do not bring the teachings of Jesus Christ, who do not bring the core teachings of Christian doctrine. Watch out for them, mark them, and avoid them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same should be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Even breaking one of the least of the commandments has significant consequences. Now, some people may take the attitude, well, yeah, it doesn't say they're, they're in hell. I'm not going to get into the exegesis of this text. The point here is that calling out false teachings, calling out false teachers is something Jesus did. It's something the Old Testament prophets did. It's something we should do. And our attitude toward error has to be one that is sober and serious not casual, not lighthearted. Jesus said to the Pharisees at one point, Matthew 15, 14, let them alone, they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man, if a blind guide leads a blind man, both will fall in the ditch. He said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 6, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said it again in Luke 12, 1. The early church engaged in the condemnation of false teachers. Paul urges his readers to avoid false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, Paul says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. He doesn't pick and choose which words. All the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, This person is conceited and understands nothing but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by 
contentment. The same Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31, I know that after my departure, savage, savage, savage wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Paul spent three years warning with tears the churches or the church in Ephesus. He said to the Colossians in Colossians 2, 4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. And in dropping down to verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. He does this again in, in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4, and in verse 7, he says to Timothy, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. These things give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering of the administration of the gospel, which is by faith. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 20, 21, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. He says in Hebrews 13, or not he, Hebrews 13, 9 says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. 2 John 9, 10 says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. There comes a point when the error of people um, has to result in consequences. There are some things in Scripture that are extremely clear. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the exclusivity of Christianity, the virgin birth, the nature of Scripture, uh, salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, lustful desires, whether they're perverted against nature, uh, same-sex attraction, 
or whether they are a man lusting after the neighbor's wife across the street. These things are perverse. These things are clear in Scripture. God has given us His Word, and those things that are clear in His Word are the things that we can easily say you cannot you cannot teach these things and continue to be recognized as part of the group as part of the christian tribe as part of the community you cannot do it we are the called out ones we are the ones who are called according to scripture the holy ones Sanctified by the blood of Christ. Not, not because of anything we did. Not because of our own works. Not because there's something inherently good in us. There isn't. If you think that's what I'm driving towards, then you're thinking wrongly. We are all from the same lump of depraved clay. All of us. But from that lump, God has called to himself a peculiar people. He has washed them in the blood of Christ. He has regenerated them. He has purified them. He has gifted them with the gift of faith. He's given them a desire to please himself. He's opened their eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That group of people belong to a community, a tribe, a group. They have a special marker placed on them. They are the righteous ones, the sanctified ones, the holy ones. And those of us who have been called, not by works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, those of us who have been called out of this dark world need to walk accordingly. We need to live a life worthy of that calling. That is the obligation. That is the duty. That is how we respond to the benevolence of the grace of God. He has extended to us this incredible gift of grace. And our response to that gift is that we mortify the deeds of the flesh. We embrace the teachings of our God. We embrace the statutes, the commandments, the ordinances of our God. We embrace the law of our God. He is holy. Everything he says, everything he commands is right and good and true and holy. And we embrace these things. We do everything we can to walk in them. And we help one another walk in them doesn't mean that we walk in them perfectly does not mean that we do not sin it does not mean that we're not capable of committing immoral acts it does not mean that we are not capable of embracing heresy at times but we know and are convinced with certainty that our god through the work of the holy spirit and through the service of the community of faith, the body of Christ, our fellow believers, 
that we will always be recovered from those errors because we are His. We belong to Him. So, understand this. Everyone who belittles the Bible, everyone who engages in criticizing ministries that are involved in polemics, that are involved in calling out false teachers, they are opposing Christ because Christ did these things. The apostles did these things. They're opposing the apostles. They're opposing the prophets of God from the Old Testament. And not only are they doing those things, they're engaging in the very practice they're condemning. They're engaging in a self-refuting argument. So not only is their practice unbiblical, their practice is logically untenable. It's, they are a walking contradiction, if you will. It is unavoidable that we should look at and critique beliefs, behaviors, and practices of others. The question is, what is the standard by which we offer up our critiques? Is it pagan philosophy in Western culture, Eastern culture, whatever culture you might find yourself in? Is that the standard by which you're going to criticize the views, beliefs, and practices of others? Or are you simply going to open the pages of Scripture and allow the Word of God to be the standard that it is? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Reformed Rant. I uh, hope that I've said something that's, that's, that's been beneficial, something that uh, maybe will provoke you to look deeper into these things, something that might move you, change you, and get you to uh, engage in the, the battle in which we are, we are fighting. Uh, the Bible describes the Christian life uh, in, in military terms and uh, as a war, as a battle, as a fight, as a struggle uh, in numerous places as the New Testament was being penned. It was that then, it is that today. It isn't any different, okay? So again, thank you for listening. If you have any comments, questions, remarks, comments, suggestions, uh, if you're listening to the Reformed Rant uh, in the, uh, I think in the app, in the Anchor app, you can leave those comments there. If not, you can go over to Reformed Reasons uh, and uh, leave a comment uh, at Reformed Reasons. Reach out to us. I appreciate you listening. God bless. Keep the faith. Stay in the fight, whatever you do. Take care. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity Marketplace of Ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. I believe in God our Father. I believe.